Take your walk all the way back. As Linda's walking up, uh, I just want to point out to you, Kathy, can you go backwards to the, the last slide we were on for the music? You're welcome. <laughs> Our scripture reading today is take, taken from Numbers 11, 10 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay down the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors. Where am I to get, ma- where am I to get meat to give to all the people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, Put me to death at once. If you have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting, and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so that you will not bear it all by yourself. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Linda. You know, it's summer, I think I'm going to go on a trip. One of the things I've always wanted to do is go up to the Superior Hiking Trail and go on like a hiking, camping trip. Gina told me uh, early on when we got married and we were up there and we realized you can, you can travel the whole length of Lake Superior and camp along the way. And I said, oh, this would be awesome. I do, I, we have to do this sometimes. She said, I think you better do that with one of your buddies. <laughs> I appreciate her honesty. And so, you know, one day maybe I'll do that, and I'm, I'm starting to think about it right now, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring uh, Chuck with me, because I think Chuck, that's something he would like to do. He just gave me the thumbs up. And I'm also going to bring Darrell. Darrell, is that something that you would like to do? Okay. Now, this is an important part of my plan. Uh, Chuck, well, he's older than me, and Darrell, he's much younger than me, I think. Uh, he'd be a lot better able to carry all of the weight of our stuff. So, Darrell, we're going to give all that to you, okay? You still want to go? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, he's younger than me. Uh, Chuck probably shouldn't be carrying the heavy packs and all the stuff that we need to carry. Maybe I'll carry something. I mean, I could because I'm able. But it makes more sense for Darrell to carry it. Oh, well, that's silly. I mean, 
you wouldn't expect that to happen. And, and certainly I could carry some of the stuff, at least my stuff, and Chuck could probably carry something, right, Chuck? You could carry like a, the inflatable mattress or your tent or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's good, he's good, he says. It's just a silly example uh, of a made-up scenario to just illustrate to you the, the reality that any trip that we go on, any new adventure, any new endeavor, really anything that we do in life carries with it some kind of a burden, some kind of a weight. Sometimes it's just a psychological weight like stress or anxiety, hoping that it's going to turn out. Sometimes it's literal like we need some people to fill certain roles or whatever. Uh, there's a whole range of different things that we could talk about in terms of, of the burdens that come from doing something new. But think about it in your own life. When you started a job, a joyful time, but there's a burden, a burden of learning, a burden of adjusting to all the newness. When you have a child, it's a great joy, right? But there's, is there a burden, Zach and Callie? There is a burden, <laughs> I know, every moment's a blessing, I know, but not every moment, okay? <laughs> There's a burden with it. Uh, if you want to try and make a friend, uh, there's significant joy with establishing that new friendship, but there is a burden. If you want to do anything that's hard, that goes against the grain of the culture, there's a huge burden with that. Now you're having to stand on your own two feet, now you're actually starting to lead. Building a church. Great joy. Great accomplishment. But a significant burden. I know because we talk about it. <laughs> there is a burden. And I, those are just several examples of the reality of life that anytime you do anything new, there's a burden that goes with it. Now you might say, well, then we just hide. And that's true. You, you can hole up in your house or your apartment and you can say, I don't want to experience any more burden in my life ever again. But then you will experience a burden. <laughs> You're going to be lonely. You're going to lose a sense of purpose. You're going to sit, lose a sense of community and togetherness that comes especially from in the church. Really, the reality is, if you don't want to be burdened, well, try and do nothing, but then see where that gets you. Any good thing that we work towards or experience in this life carries with it some level of burden. The question is how much? Now, speaking of journeys, the journey that the Israelites were on in this text that we read today, God's people, this was an incredible journey, maybe the most incredible one in all of history. Did you know, do you remember that the Israelite people in this camp that moved around the wilderness was 600,000 people. And Moses was the leader of all those people. Good thing they loved him so much. <laughs> Good thing he was exactly the leader that they needed to get them from slavery to the promised land. And that's what we read about in uh, Exodus and now Numbers and Leviticus. We read about their journey throughout the land, learning how to be God's people. And Moses is the leader that God appointed for such a time as that. But we get to an interesting point in the text here where the journey has been much longer than anybody expected. The promised land has proved to be much more elusive than anybody had expected. And the journey is becoming very, very difficult. 
And so Moses, in this text, what we read about, picks up where Moses is actually crying out to God, and this is what's called a lament. Over half of the Psalms are laments, by the way, most of them by, written by David, saying, God, why are you doing this to me? When are you going to step in and change this? When are you going to do something about the circumstances that I'm experiencing? He cries out and he says, did I give birth to these people? Am I the one who is solely responsible for these people? You can sense the intensity of this moment and how desperate Moses is feeling. Now, to be clear, he's been in this situation before where the people are upset and they're crying out or they're, they're doing things they weren't supposed to do, like the incident with the golden calf. Do you remember that? Moses was up with God on the mountain and God tells him, you better go down there and check on your people. They're doing something they're not supposed to do. And Moses actually intervenes during that time and tries to spare uh, God's people from God's wrath. Moses says, no, 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 don't do that. You love these people and so do I. Don't punish them like that. And there's all sorts of nuance about God's wrath that we could talk about. But the point that I want to show you here is that now it's Moses who's saying, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do with this? So why were the Israelites crying out? All of them, standing at the entrance of their tent, 600,000 in this big camp, wailing about, why, God, are you doing this to us? What were they crying about? Of all things, the food. (laughs) God had been providing for them exactly what they needed. Exactly what they needed. They needed food that could sustain them as they traveled throughout the wilderness for years and years and years. Decades, actually. Well, they didn't like that food. They didn't like the way that God was providing for them, and they were eager to get to the promised land. And so they start crying out to Moses saying, we want meat. <laughs> we want meat. We don't want that manna. Manna, if you remember, was, is like this weird kind of bread. Some, they could make it into a bread. It's like a... a part of a plant, and they could take the man and they would collect it every morning and they could form it into little bread cakes, and it sounds like it must not have tasted very well. Maybe like those little communion wafers that you've been having. <laughs> They're not good, right? Now imagine if I said that's what we're going to eat for the next uh, 30 years, you'd probably start to get annoyed as well, <laughs> and I wouldn't blame you for that. But the people start crying out and they say, we want meat. And then they start saying, well, maybe we should have just stayed in Egypt. Because there we had cucumbers, we had melons, we have everything that we could desire. Really, in short, they had all the comforts that they had gotten used to in slavery. But they were starting to remember all of those things that they missed from the days gone by. And the promised land didn't sound so good anymore. And so they said, let's go back to Egypt. And this is what does it for Moses. (laughs) Because he's saying, God has provided exactly what we need to get to where we're going. You don't realize, you don't remember what it was like to be in slavery, and you've taken this step of faith. Now we need to let God lead us into the promised land, which requires that we take exactly what God has given us. And so really what we see in the text, last week we talked about competing values and how much of a threat that is to the church. What we see in this text is competing values between Moses and the people. Moses is committed to, this is his value, to leading the people according to the vision that God has given him 
leading the people to the promised land, which was God's purpose, and doing so by God's power. So God tells him, this is where you need to go. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to give you the power to get there. That's my purpose for you as a people. Moses was utterly committed to that, to that posture of depending upon God. But the people whom he was serving were committed to comfort. We're committed to having things the way that they wanted it, the way that they remembered it, the things that made them feel good. And again, I don't blame them. But Moses is at this point where he says, I don't know what to do anymore. These people are asking me to do something that I'm not able to do. Hence his lament, his crying out to God and saying, what, what am I supposed to do with these people, God? He can't take it anymore. And he says, I would rather die than have to bear this burden by myself. Wow. I think it's interesting to point out here, and this is an important point to make. Moses did not stop loving the people. He obviously cared for these people greatly, or he would have bailed out a long time ago. But he turns to this mo- in this moment of desperation to God saying, I can't do this anymore. They're asking me to do something that I literally cannot do. He can't give the people the meat that they want. He can't give the people the fruit that they were longing to have. And so God sees Moses in this moment of desperation. And he says, Moses, I'm going to come to you personally. And I want you to gather 70 of the people you trust most, the ones that can be the leaders of this camp. And I'm going to give them the same spirit that I've given you. And we see lots of examples in Scripture of people having the same spirit that Moses had. And really, what, when God gives people, His people the spirit, it really signifies two things. The power to do what God wants them to do, and also the vision to see what God wants them to see so that they can live out God's purposes rather than just the people's because they would do whatever they feel like doing. So God gives His Spirit to His people to enable them to live out His purposes by His power. And that's exactly what we see in the text. As God says, well, prepare yourselves. Prepare you and prepare yourself, Moses, and prepare these people. Come to the tent of meeting. I'm going to give them this power so that you don't have to carry this burden by yourself. First of all, Moses gives a really good example of what any leader should do, really any of us, when we're feeling overwhelmed in life, is just be brutally honest with God. Why are you doing this? <laughs> if we're not honest about what we're feeling inside, then how can, God, how can God do anything about that within our heart? And how will we know if God actually answered our prayer if we don't just say, excuse my language, what the hell, God? <laughs> And it's our refusal to take on that posture that actually keeps us from seeing what God might do in our life. And so Moses sets a really good example by doing that. He says, God, I can't do this anymore. And God answers that prayer. This incredible journey has come to an important pivot where God equips more people to help Moses carry the burden of going from slavery to the promised land. What a journey. 
Now, the church in the United States has been on also an incredible journey, has it not? I mean, the country itself was founded upon the freedom of religion. Really important. It's really a hot topic today to protect those freedoms. I would say, yeah, we need those freedoms. What a journey it's been on. And to, we get to the, the point of uh, the church today, which I had mentioned last week, is that a Gallup survey, a Gallup is a company that does all these um, different surveys, church-related and other, otherwise related, to get kind of the pulse of the land. And then a Gallup survey done uh, within the last year said that 47% of Americans, when asked the question, do you associate with a church, uh, a mosque, or a synagogue, do you associate with them? 47% said no which is the first time in our nation's history that that number has dipped below 50%. And that shouldn't be news to any of you. I mean, we're hearing stories of churches closing. Uh, we're, hearing, uh, we're, we're seeing that we don't have near the attendance that we would hope. I mean, we know that that's a reality, but somehow we don't necessarily change our expectations of what should happen given that reality. And so uh, the article that I read those numbers within, sharing those uh, statistics, talked about all the different reasons why and all the different challenges. But Methodism has had its own interesting trajectory. Let me read some of these numbers to you. I've read this in several of my textbooks about Methodism, which started out in England and came over here first as a movement, not necessarily as the United Methodist Church that we experience it today. But um, in, in 1776... Fewer than 2% of Americans were Methodists. Fewer than 2%. By 1850, the movement had claimed the allegiance of 34% of the population. 34, 2% to 34%. That's amazing. Now, a big part of that was because of the circuit riders. Remember we talked about this last week? These preachers who would ride around on horseback, John Wesley being one of them, Francis Asbury being the main one, in America would ride around on horseback on what were called circuits. They would go to these different places and establish a a fellowship of believers that would become its own church. This church started that way. Some of you know that. But you know what was interesting? This explosion that happened because of the, the circuit riders started to change. In 1850, the leaders of Methodism started looking around at the Presbyterians for one, And they started to get jealous of what those other denominations were doing. They said, well, they have the real learned folks. (laughs) I don't think they said it that way, but (laughs) it's good to laugh. And they said, well, we want, we see what the education that they're requiring, so we want to have them, we want to have our pastors get the same kind of ordination uh, studies that these other denominations do. And so they stopped having the, the circuit riders travel around. And they said, instead, you're going to stay here, you're going to be the paid professional, and you're going to learn, and you're going to be the one who leads this congregation. And what's interesting is that within 10 years, Methodism stopped requiring classes and bands, which were the small groups of those times, which is what made Methodism possible to to grow in the way that it did. That was no longer a requirement. Well, why do we need to grow in faith? That's what we have the pastor for. 
my first meeting ever as a pastor, I said, well, would anyone like to pray? That's your job. They told me exactly that tone, too. Whoa, sorry. You know, sorry I asked. <laughs> and I've slowly learned the reasons why. And this is a big part of, this is a part of the big picture, okay? And all these things were happening before the pandemic, by the way. So there's another survey that came out within the last year. Same a company, Gallup, and then there are others who did a similar survey. They're trusted, at least within churches, so I know the stats and whatever truth is subjective these days. But <laughs> This survey said that one out of every three pastors has seriously considered quitting within the last year. One out of three. One out of three pastors has seriously considered quitting. And those are the ones that are willing to admit it. I'll be honest with you, I was one of those three. And it wasn't because of the pandemic is hard. It's not because when you go through something that's difficult, uh, that I have to be there for you. That's actually the stuff that I love. I'm one out of the three because there are all these different competing values of what people expect in the church. All these different things that you expect your pastor to be that have never been talked about. So in other words, you say, well, we want our pastor to get us to the promised land. We want him or her to get us to a vibrant church. We took this step of faith and we want him to lead us the promised land of a vibrant ministry like we remembered it, which requires different skills. It requires being present to the Holy Spirit, depending upon God's power, depending upon God's vision and purposes, and doing whatever it takes to get there. But in a similar way, churches, not just here, churches everywhere are saying, yeah, we want to get to the promised land, but we also want the comforts that we've experienced in the past. We want our pastor to be there for us in every moment that we need him to be. We want our pastor to lead the Sunday school or youth group. We want our pastor to worship. We want our pastor to uh, lead the finances, make sure that those are solid. We want our pastor to reach new people. <laughs> We want our pastor to figure out how to do stuff during the pandemic. And we want them to carry all of that burden by themselves. In a much more serious note, pastor suicide rates are sky high. Because it takes... A year ago, my knees would have been knocking saying all this stuff to you. But because it takes significant courage to stand and proclaim these things to the people who pay you. But friends, I'm convinced. I came to the edge of chaos, the, my, the edge of my own darkness. And I said, okay, Lord, well, if this isn't going to work, I'll be willing to walk away. But before I would ever think about walking away, I said, well, maybe I better start speaking the truth. Saying what's really there. Saying how hard things really are so that people can understand we need to work together. That, by the way, is the biblical model. Always has been. It's always how it's been meant to be. 
The pastors that are starting to thrive, myself feeling like one of them, you could have your opinion if that's true or not. The pastors who are starting to thrive have realized, first of all, it's not our job to carry all the burdens of the church. And that people will tell us that, but we actually have to lay those burdens down and then be willing to risk people being disappointed with us if it's not the way that they had come to expect it from the pastor. And there's no amount of explaining that can, if you think a pastor should be a certain way, there's no amount of explaining I can do to be able to live in that truth. The pastors who have learned to thrive realize that when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, that that starts with the pastor and making space in your life to actually live that. Not trying to keep up with everything that needs to be done in the church to actually say this is a non-negotiable part of my life. And then to teach others to do that exact same thing. Because the truth is, if we read in, we read in Scripture in John chapter 15, that Jesus says I, to His disciples, I have appointed you to love one another, to reflect My goodness in this world, to do the work of proclaiming this gospel message that Jesus is the, the Messiah. I have appointed you. And so my job, my most important job, is to help each one of you, no matter what life stage you're at, to realize that God has gifted you to share in the burden. In your own unique way. In your own unique time. And that the most important thing that you can do is to lay your burdens down at the feet of Jesus. And as we do that together, well, now we have a shared value, don't we? Now we have a common purpose as a church that we say, Lord, my highest value is following You. That's going to look different for me than it looks for Deb, than it looks for Chuck. Sorry, Chuck, I'm picking on you a lot in this service. It's going to look different for Christy. It's going to look different for Helen. But each of us can contribute in some way. The text that I wanted to share with you today is the one that's used in this banner up here. Paul understood this importance of of each person living out their calling. And he says in Galatians 6, My friends, if anyone is detected in transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. So, each of us is responsible for carrying the burden of this church, of this ministry. Now, for you, it might just look like uh, calling each other, <laughs> sending each other cards, which is something I know that a lot of you do. That when something bad happens to somebody, yes, call me and let me know, but then also go there 
or say, can I come and see you? Can I come and sit with you? I know that many of you bear the burden by continuing to be generous financially. Invaluable piece of it. But any time that we live out our giftedness, we don't earn the right then to say what other people are not doing, which is often common in the church. Well, if I'm giving, then how come so-and-so isn't giving? Well, their gift is different right now. Or if I'm serving, how come more people aren't serving? Or if I'm in a small group, how come more people aren't in a small group? All we are called to do is to have the top value of following Jesus with all of our heart. That's it. That's our calling. And as we live that out with one another, we share the burden of ministry. We share the burdens. We spread out the load. Look at the picture. Do you see anybody in this picture who's just kind of chilling on the side? (laughs) Who's saying, well, you know, I've been there, done that, carrying each other's burdens. I've done my part. Somebody else can do theirs. (laughs) That even sounds ridiculous to say. Your way of contributing changes, but you're never absolved from carrying the burdens of one another. Never. And if, if you think that is the case, you can find that in Scripture and show me. I'd love to see that. I just don't see that. Thankfully, this church is alive with movement of the Spirit. We've had new leaders for the last several years. We've had new small groups. We have one in the afternoon on Wednesday, which is an awesome opportunity to ask questions and grow in our faith. And that inspires me to say, the Holy Spirit is working in this place. How do I know? Not just because of me, but because of what's happening around me. We have three baptisms coming up in the next month and a half when other churches are closing. We have new members joining when other churches are closing. We are moving towards the promised land, but guess what, friends? This is what I've discovered, and this is what I hope we can discover together, that the promised land has never been and never will be a full church. That's not the promised land. The promised land is the journey itself of following Jesus of moment by moment, day by day, opening our hearts to Jesus and saying, Jesus, all I have in this life is Yours. Help me to see what You would have me do today. To know the love that You have for me. To feel the peace that You want to give me. Help me to lay down my burden. And then teach me to to, to show others how to do that same thing. Friends, following Jesus is the promised land. The journey itself is the promised land. God has answered my prayer. God has helped me to see that the most important thing that I can do in this journey of being your pastor, hopefully it continues after the sermon today, (laughs) the thing that I can do in this journey is to regularly in a non-negotiable way, present myself to the Lord and say, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit so that I can pour myself out to others. That's what I pray when I'm there. You might think I'm being antisocial. That's what I'm doing. I'm praying and saying, Lord, just let people see You in me. Help my words to be Your words. 
Help people feel your presence. That's what I've been doing, and now this church feels more alive and full of potential than ever. That's what led Dean to the small group that you're a part of, is me having that posture. And at the same time, I'm saying, I can't carry this burden. But I'll say, God, help me to teach Deb how she can carry her part of the burden. Help me to teach Miriam how she can carry her part of the burden, given their life stage. The question for us as a church is not, will we carry each other's burdens or not? You know, will we decide if that's what we're going to do? The question is really, will we make it as a church? Because pastors that take on this posture will thrive in the future. And churches that follow suit, follow the example of their pastor, will thrive in the future. But churches that want to go back to the promised land, or to to Egypt, with things being the way that they knew it and want it, well, those churches will close. Or maybe there will be a couple in towns that will be able to carry on that illusion that that's going to work, that that's what will actually draw people in. What draws people in to to the church and helps them to see God's love for them and, and calling for them is by experiencing the Holy Spirit through you, through me, when they come here. That's a sharing the burden. This journey that we're on together, friends, over the next several years, hopefully, for me, hopefully 20 years. (laughs) I don't want to ever move. But the question will be, can we share the burden together so that each of us, myself included, can live into the specific giftedness that God has given to me. And the beautiful thing is, when we do that, we experience, each of us, peace and joy, hope, love, not just from the pastor or a couple leaders, but from each other. As we engage in small group, I didn't say this part, i got to say it. Small group, walk to Emmaus, Leadership positions, missions committee, all these things are thriving right now and they're all ways that we grow in relationship with one another so that we get natural opportunities to share each other's burden. My conclusion for this message is completely gone. I don't know know where it is. But I'm telling you, friends, if we can learn to share each other's burdens if we can learn how to lay down our burden at the feet of Jesus, we will discover that Jesus Himself is the promised land. I pray that we will each have the courage to try that new posture and to share each other's burdens as we take it on. Amen.